Good morning, everyone. Well, it's great to be with you today. So um, last weekend, Chuck and I celebrated 20 years of marriage. Woo! Yeah, which feels like a, a big achievement. And so to celebrate, <laughs> Chuck booked us into a nice hotel in Aberdeen. He got a great deal, dinner, bed and breakfast. And so we we're all dressed up and went downstairs. And you know what it's like when you're handed a menu and everything on the menu you want. You know, it's like your dream menu. From the starters to the main course to the puddings, it was like, oh my goodness, what on earth are we going to choose? So then we were chatting like, well, if I get this dish, will you get that dish? And then we could swap halfway through. And can I have a bit of yours if you have a bit of mine? You know, and all of that. And um, we were getting really excited about what we were going to eat. And then suddenly Chuck remembered, oh, I've just turned gluten-free. Like, I, I'm gluten intolerant. I, I don't know if I can eat this. And so um, we had a little look down the menu and great to see they catered for vegetarians, brilliant to see they catered for vegans, nothing for gluten-free, uh, gluten intolerant people. And so we were like, oh, let's bring the waitress over and ask her, well, what, what can he eat from the menu? And she really wasn't sure either. And so she was like, um, let me go away. I'm going to take the menu. I'm going to go away and I'm going to speak to the chef about it. And so off she went and she was gone for ages, like a really long time. And then she came back and we couldn't believe it as she put the menu down in the middle of our table. And as we both looked over it, all we could see were bright red, huge crosses over every single dish bar one. That image came back to me a couple of days ago as I was preparing for this talk. And I felt like the Lord reminded me of that beautiful, curated, crisp menu that carried so much possibility of an amazing meal, only to be spoiled and marked and disappointed because of these huge, big red crosses that were all scored out all the way through it, marking it spoiling it and causing it not to look like it intended to. And I realized in that moment that that marked and scored out menu could easily represent the mess and the scars and the pain and anguish of our lives, of our minds, of our bodies and of our hearts, leaving us often feeling in tatters, broken, let down with big haunting questions. You know, so many of you watching today, you will have known pain. You would have endured suffering and loss, physical and emotional pain. Many of you will have experienced. Perhaps you carry the scars of past hurts where you've tried to kind of push them away or, um, yeah, bury them even. Perhaps it's pain that's in your body right now and has been for as long as you can remember. Maybe your pain is grief over the, the loss of a loved one. Maybe you're facing the pain of the desert right now and you are in this dry and barren land and you are like, I just feel completely on my own. Maybe it feels like God has gone missing or you're watching someone you love go through terrible suffering. Maybe a dear friend or your spouse has said some things to you and it has like torn you up inside. 
it's really broken you and you're not sure that you can move past it because it's so painful. Or maybe you've been given a life-changing diagnosis and it's just an awful, awful situation that you are in. Pain and suffering is everywhere. And for us as Christians, we are not immune from that. And I so wish it wasn't the case, but for so many of us, we are not strangers to pain. Yet what we do have that the rest of the world doesn't is Jesus. What we do have is his spirit and what we do have is his word that guides our path, that gives us um, uh, and demonstrates to us how we can deal with the pain that we carry, the pain that we are in, in practical ways. Because Jesus fully experienced the sufferings of this world. He was brutalized, he was victimized, he was despised, he was rejected, he was renounced. The long suffering of Jesus is the passion of the cross. And as we continue, as Ali said in our Becoming series, today we are looking at the suffering of David and also of Jesus in Psalm 22. And we're going to ask the question today, what do we do with the pain that we carry? Now, this is a hugely complex topic, and we could, the truth is we could spend months in this topic alone, and weeks and weeks actually in this passage alone, because it is so unbelievably rich. But my hope for today in the few minutes that we have together is that the Holy Spirit will draw alongside you that you will experience his comfort, you will experience his peace, you will experience his revelation and his guiding you as to know what you can do as the next steps to give him the pain that you carry, the pain that you are in. So why don't I pray for us and then we're going to open God's word. Holy Spirit, we invite you to invade our rooms, our kitchens, our cars, wherever we are, would you come by your presence? Would you come into those places that are struggling, that are suffering, that are in pain right now? We need you, Holy Spirit. Would you be our guide and our comfort today? And Lord, we say we trust you. This is a vulnerable topic. It's hard to look at. But we trust you, Jesus, and we look to you. Amen. Amen. So we are going to read together Psalm 22. We're actually going to read it in chunks. So we're going to read the first five verses together, and I'm going to read them to you. It says this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. I love the raw and real honesty of those few verses. And the very first point, it really shows us that we don't need to pretend. That's my first point. There are two small words that so many of us will be familiar with, and we use them all the time. And those two small words are, I'm fine. We say them so often, don't we, when someone asks, how are we doing? 
probably because it's easy and it's not demanding of any emotional energy and it's sweet and to the point, but so often it's not true. You see, when we say I'm fine or everything's fine, we're often choosing to deny really what's going on inside and how we're feeling, perhaps because we can't go there. Or maybe it's because it's a way of kind of a coping mechanism for us. By telling that person that we're fine, actually, really, we're telling ourselves we're fine and that everything will be okay and everything will be all right. A few years ago, there was a study where um, 2,000 adults was commissioned. Sorry, I'm going to have to cough. (coughs) Oh, you're going to love that on the live stream. (laughs) Sorry, everyone. Okay, there was a study of 2,000 adults that was commissioned by the Mental Health Foundation. And they found that the average adult would say, I'm fine, a minimum of 14 times a week. Whereas only 19% of those adults actually meant it. Almost a third of those surveyed said they often lie about how they're feeling to other people, while one in 10 would go as far as to say they always lie about their emotional state. (coughs) Jenny Edwards, who is the chief executive of the Mental Health Foundation, said this. While it may appear that most of us are happy openly discussing feelings, These survey results reveal that many of us are really just sticking to a script. In stark contrast, we see the opening line of David's psalm. And it stands in complete opposition to the I'm fine phrase that we're all so familiar with. Raw, real, honest, heartfelt. These are the words that are pouring out of David's mouth. Verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And these two are the words that Jesus uttered on the cross in the deepest depths of his suffering. You see, he was quoting this psalm because these words were first spoken by David. And we can see here that actually this psalm as well, it was put to music. It was actually put to music. So here is a song that speaks about the agony and the pain of life. Here is a song that says life really sucks. Now, people other than David would also have sung this song. They would sing a song that says, my life is horrible. There is no false reality here. There is no pretense. There is no pretending that everything is fine, everything is okay, or even everything is perfect. And I love how this verse challenges the I'm fine stance. You see, David is being incredibly real about the reality of his awful situation. There is no pretense, there is no hiding. And I believe that this is a challenge for us as God's people because we weren't ever meant to be an I'm fine kind of people. Instead, the Lord has made us to be people who lament, people who are open and real about the stuff in our lives, the pain that we carry, the struggles that we have to those around us and also to the Lord. If we aren't fine, let's not pretend to be. Secondly, don't misplace your pain. So Chuck and I had only been married a few months when severe depression hit me out of the blue. 
and I was signed off sick. I couldn't really leave the house, and I had suicidal thoughts. And if I'm honest with you, I was, it was awful to live, I was awful to live with, and I put a lot of my pain onto Chuck, and I pushed him away, and I was really, really pretty awful to him. At the same time as that, I was also internalizing a lot of my pain. And the only way I can describe it was like, it was like um, a, torpe a torpedo that was kind of deeply immersed into the very depths of me, and it was bouncing off my internal walls. And I went to the doctors, and I received medication, and that made a significant difference to me. And I just would want to encourage you, if you're in a position similar to the one that I found myself, and you haven't been to speak to a doctor, I would urge you to do that. And so the medication really helped me. But also, I just felt like um, my internal pain was turning into self-loathing and hatred. And so eventually, my church, they organized for me to have some prayer ministry. And every week, I would go to um, this elderly couple who would have me in their house, and they would chat with me, and, um, but most of the time, they would just pray for me. And they would simply lay a hand on my shoulder, and they'd invite the Holy Spirit to come. And I would also invite the Holy Spirit to come. And you would have heard me say maybe that often I like to think of the, my internal workings, if you like, as a house. And every house has a door. And so I had to give permission for Jesus to be able to enter any room. Nothing was locked. Nothing was, you know, not open to him, particularly the basement. And that time where I invited the Holy Spirit in, I just started to cry. It's one of those times of prayer ministry. And my cries turned to sobs, and those sobs turned to wails. And I don't know what I was crying about, but I could feel this big weight within me rising as I was crying. And it kept rising up and rising up and rising up. And I suddenly realized, oh my gosh, I've got a decision to make here. This, this thing that is coming up, it wants to come out. But can I let it out? And in that moment, I made a decision, yes, I will. And so I just cried and I screamed for quite a while. I felt a lot better after. But what I realized was that the Lord was releasing me of a whole bunch of pain, a whole bunch of stuff that I had buried deep within me. You see, when we bury things that are very painful to us, we bury them in the hope that they would just disappear. They would go away. But what actually happens is we bury those feelings and they, those emotions. We bury them alive. And so they do continue to affect us until we allow Jesus to come into those places and to bring his healing. For many of us, burying our pain is what we do. It's how we cope. Yet it's never easy it's never as easy as kind of out of sight, out of mind, because what we've buried is real life. It's feeling. They're real and they're live and emotions that are within us. And so often as we bury something, it leaks out in other places. And so often the manifestation of that can come out in different unhealthy ways. Perhaps it could look like um, excessive shopping or drinking too much. It could look like a pornography addiction, or it could look like um, maybe over-exercising, or under-eating, or overeating. 
It could look like substance abuse or gambling. It could look in all sorts of many unhealthy ways, but these are just some of the unhealthy ways that we sometimes use to manage our pain. Yet what we see in the psalm is David expressing his pain in an incredibly healthy way. He bought his pain and he took it to the Lord. He took it to him. Notice all these verses. Verse 1, why are you so far from saving me? Verse 2, my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. Verse 3, yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. Verse 4, you, our ancestors, put their trust. Verse 5, to you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. You, you, you. You see, the direction of the psalm is one of David bringing his pain to God and to him alone. Him alone. Don't be afraid to do that. Don't be afraid to do that. I often have conversations with people that say, well, I'm just so worried about what will come out if I do that. Or once I start, I don't know if I'll ever stop. I understand that this can be feel incredibly daunting, but Jesus knows what you carry. He knows what you've gone through. He's wept alongside you. He will meet you in that place of pain, pouring himself out over you as you start to bring your pain to him. He loves you. He knows you. He knows exactly what you need. He knows you better than you know yourself. But just also, just before we move on to the next point, just want to say that for some of you, you know that prayer ministry, what I had, with that couple you would like, you need, and you're willing to say, come Holy Spirit, I'm not, I'm not locking any rooms. You're, you're welcome. I want to find healing. I want you to meet me in that place of pain. And if that's you, I'd really encourage you to speak to your site pastor. We have prayer ministry that happens all across our sites, and we'd love to facilitate that for you. Thirdly, Jesus understands our pain. So this psalm is not only sharing the experience of David and also some of God's people, but it's also a very remarkable and specific prophecy um, of just, just showing us, really, the sufferings of Jesus. You see, we see the scene of the crucifixion especially clearly in these next few verses. So we're going to read them together from verse 12. It says this, many balls surround me, strong balls of Bashan encircle me, raging, roaring lions that tear their prey, open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It is melted within me. My mouth is dried up like port's herd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth and you lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes amongst them and cast lots for my garment. You see, this is a picture of the cross. It's predicting Jesus' situation. It's a picture of the pain and the anguish that Jesus experienced. And it finds its fulfillment in Jesus' death on the cross. You see, Jesus experienced physical, excruciating pain. 
He endured emotional and heartbreak. He understands rejection and torment and mockery. He knows what it means to be unsafe, to feel so weak and vulnerable and completely exposed. He understands what it means to suffer at the hands of others. Jesus knows what it is to suffer. He knows all about pain and he understands our pain. He knows your depression. He knows about the misery that you are in. He knows about that wilderness that you are lost in. He sees you. He knows you. He loves you. He hears your prayers and your cries because he is close to the brokenhearted. He heals and he binds our wounds and he is faithful and he will do what he says he will do. In him and in him alone, we can rest our weary bodies. We can find healing for our broken minds and peace for our hearts. You see, we have a God that not only knows and understands and has experienced agonizing suffering and pain, but we have a God who longs to come and to meet us in that pain who longs to come and to wipe those tears from our eyes, who longs to put our head on his breast. Beautiful Jesus. Beautiful Jesus. There is no other God that would not only substitute himself for us on the cross, but who is waiting in the wings right now for us to say, I need you, Jesus. Will you step into my pain? And lastly, this is not the end. This is not the end. Because this bit, at the very end of the passage, this is the truth. Let's read together verse 25. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive, posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Oh, I love that phrase. Mm -hmm. He has done it. Church, this is a picture of hope. Vast, massive, huge, gigantic hope. Now, the meaning of the word hope has changed over time because we use the word hope like, oh, you know, oh, I hope I can get that parking slot or I hope I'm having chicken for dinner or I hope they've had a good day. You see, by which we mean wish. But the Bible never uses the word hope like that. In the Bible, if we have hope, it's like an anchor. It's an anchor in the rock. It is the sword in the stone. It is unmovable. It's unpenetrable. It will not wobble. It will not even move a tiny bit. It will never, ever come loose. Look at what the psalm promises. The poor will eat and be satisfied. All the ends of the earth will remember the Lord and turn to the Lord. Dominion belongs to him. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. 
This is about the salvation of the whole earth. Pain, death, sickness, suffering is never the end of the story for us as Christians. It's never the end. When Jesus was on the cross crying out, why have you forsaken me? He was trusting God that he wouldn't be stuck in that place right at the very beginning in verse 1, but he would get all the way through to the end of verse 31. He has done it. This is the hope that we have, church. This is the truth. Nothing is permanent. So we can walk in faith because he has done it. That was David's hope. It was Jesus' hope. And it's our hope too.